Thanks for checking out the Airborne Youth Podcast. This week you'll be hearing a teaching from Ben Evenson. So there was a farmer who had a horse. Yeah. Anybody want to guess what the horse's name was? Bullseye. How'd you know that? Yeah, Bullseye. That's my boy. He's smart. Yeah. And so the farmer is out on his field one day, and this is really important, so pay attention. And this, this guy comes walking up to him across the field and goes, uh, man, I, I went off the road in my car, a little, like over on the other side of your field, and I was wondering if your horse would come and try to pull it out, you know. And he said, it's, you know, it's not a big car. I think he could probably handle it. And the farmer says, look, I'll come take a look, but if I think my horse is going to get injured, I'm not doing it. You know, I, that doesn't make sense, but we'll try. So he goes over there, and he's like, oh, yeah, I think he could do it. So, you know, he ties up his horse and this whole thing, and he goes, he goes, all right, buddy, pull. But Bullseye just stands there, you know, and then he goes, he goes, Shasta, pull. You know, that's a good horse name, you know, and Bullseye just stands right there. Shasta, that's a cool name, isn't it? I have. I grew up in Arizona. There's horses everywhere, okay? Um, they run out of names fast. And then he calls off a couple other horses' names, and, all, and then all of a sudden he goes, Bullseye, pull! And Bullseye pulls the car right up out of the ditch, and the farmer goes, well, thanks, that's great, but, like, why did you call out all those other names? And the farmer says, well, Bullseye is blind, and he needed to know that he had help. Anyway, that's good, isn't it? Come on. How many of you need to know you're backed up? Come on. Right? There's a point to that stupid story. How many of you need to know that you're not alone in this journey? Is that You guys are half of you are going like. <laughs> okay, I'm going to break it down for the slow folk. All right. So the horse's name was Bullseye, and the farmer brought it over, tied it up to the car, and then he stood there, and he called out a whole bunch of horses' names. He said, you know, pull, pull, you know. And then finally he said, Bullseye, pull, and Bullseye pulled it right up out of the ditch, okay? And the, and the guy goes, why did you have to call out all those names? And the farmer said, well, Bullseye is blind. He needed to know that he had help. Hannah's still. Somebody take her outside and pray. Anyway, I'm just kidding. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Jokes are never funny if you have to explain them. Gosh. Anyway, I'm glad you're laughing. What? Yeah, all the old people thought it was funny. Anyway. <laughs> That was not a stab. I'm old, all right? I've lost them completely. So, man, I have to tell you that I have a lot of things to talk about tonight. But I'm really, I think I've got, I think I've got to figure it out where I'm going, okay? Oh, gosh, I was like, what is that? You're like a ninja, Isaiah. You appeared up there. Anyway, seriously, he is a ninja, is that offensive? Do you do like ninjutsu or taekwondo or something? Shh, he doesn't want anybody to know about it. 
Don't try to fight him. All right. Do you guys remember? Like, it was years ago now that we broke boards in here. We did, like, karate. Anyway, so, anyway, so I do. I want to talk to you guys tonight because, like, guys, there, like, we continue to repeat this stuff to you that, like, God is in motion and doing things among you and among your generation that you may or may not be picking up or sensing at this point. But I just got to say, like, Something really radical sort of maybe happened on Sunday night at the end of our missions training time. Holy moly, did the Holy Spirit show up and like surprised us a bit. And I don't, I don't know, I'm not, I don't need to put a lot of language to that, but those of you who are there, I want you to get like prepared to pray for people tonight. Is that okay? Can we do that? Okay, because we just want to see like that's not an exclusive thing. The Holy Spirit is not picky, but... He's really faithful and really good. So, and we just believe in what that, the corporate anointing can accomplish. So I think it's really powerful. But here's, here's something I want to camp on for a little bit tonight is that God has absolutely called you into a destiny and he has things for you to accomplish in your life. How many of you believe that? Like put your hand up if you believe that there is actually a purpose for being on this spinning ball in the middle of the universe Okay, some of you may not believe that, and that's okay. You'll figure it out. But I'm serious that there are things for you to do that only you can do. And you hear this stuff a lot. Like, you are, like, appointed for certain tasks that are exclusively you. But here's the issue. And if you've ever tried to accomplish great things and worked really hard at it, you come to this place of understanding that you actually can't do them. Has anybody ever felt that way? You're like, man, I feel called to greatness, but nothing is happening. The harder I try, you know, like even like Courtney said, like sometimes you're just like, God, I'm doing everything to be in your presence and to listen and to worship. And and like, man, it's like, why can't I hear your voice? And I think like the question I just want to throw out before you tonight, and then we're going to talk about a whole bunch of different things. I got some stories. I have another story to read. That'll be fun. But I want to throw this question out is like, who is your trust truly in? Okay, because I know like everybody were in church. So the automatic answer is I trust in God. I trust in Jesus. But I think most often believers and human beings in general like to say things like that until they actually have to. You know what I mean? Like when life is rolling smooth and going good, you're kind of like, yeah, I just trust Jesus. It's so good. And I just worship. And, and then like life hits the fan. Has anybody ever had any, like any rough stuff happen in their lifetime? Like some, and that's when you just kind of go like, God, where the heck are you now in this place? Like, and I feel like there's this tension that's constantly in the place where like when things go well we don't really worry too much about who we trust and when things go bad it usually reveals who we trust like when things really get bad and i think every person in this room has experienced some real crap i don't think anybody has walked through life and just been like it's been so sweet you know, and I, don't, I honestly don't believe that any one person's crap they've had to walk through is so much worse off than anybody else's. There's people that have experienced, you know, one side of things and some people that have experienced the other side of things. And I don't, 
I don't know that I have a rating system for, wow, yeah, you've had it harder than everybody else because here's the reality is the devil is after you. And God is watching you. And I want to encourage you with that reality that he is so in tune and so aware of what's going on. So I want to dive into this passage that's really cool. And I think I've got like 15 things to draw out of it. We'll see where it goes. But it says right here, how many of you know that God is fire? How many of you like fire? I think it's, oh, it's the most fascinating thing in the entire world to look at. It's less fascinating to jump into. Like, has anyone ever been on fire, like, physically? Like, Miguel, I would expect that. <laughs> Just kidding. Like, that's awesome. Like, was that a pleasant, mesmerizing experience? No. No, certainly not. You go like, wow, I like fire from a distance, but I don't necessarily want fire on me. Like, if you've ever, you know the gel that they put in those citronella candles that go, or not citronella, the, they go under the, the serving dishes at a buffet, sterno cans, that's what they're called. And it's like that jelly. We used to like have that at the camp I worked at in the kitchen. We'd, and we'd like take it out of the can, like rub it on our arms and then light it. It's pretty cool. In a dark room, it's pretty cool because it's like blue fire that hovers and it doesn't get hot till about 1.8 seconds in. And then you're like, ah, ah, you got to like wipe it off and it does go out right away. So it's good. It doesn't totally burn you, but it's awesome. You can be like on fire and not really get burned. Yeah, yeah. Come on. I just want you to know I was a teenager once. Yeah. Um, but no, look at me. Still not wise unless you're careful, okay? <laughs> All right. Only you can prevent forest fires. Anyway, uh, Smokey the Bear, who you guys don't know either, probably. Gosh. Oh, I'm so old. Anyway. <laughs> All right. We are going somewhere. And I'm so serious, guys. Fire is this reality. And I think a lot of people look at God and they hear that God is fire. And we see this throughout the entire scripture. You got the burning bush that happened. You have fire that falls on the altar. I love that story of Elijah and the prophets. Oh, man, that's so good. Elijah's like mad trash talking the other prophets. He's like, maybe your God's in the bathroom. It actually says that in the word of, in the word of God. He was trash talking. He's like, come on, maybe he's got to scream louder. Okay, but then like Elijah has like 12 jars of water dumped on his altar, you know, and they just, and then he steps back and prays and fire comes and it goes, and it doesn't just burn up the offering, right? It burns up the altar it was on, the wood, the stones, and then it says, and it licked up the water out of the trench around it. It was like, just to prove a point, you know, like the fire of God is this power to prove who God is. And his greatness. And fire is this, like, certainly this powerful reality. Like, you think of the cavemen that discovered it, and you're like, whoa. You know, that was like a breakthrough moment. Fire, fire, fire. Okay? I don't know if the cavemen really discovered fire. but Okay? But we see this picture all the way through the Scripture. God comes, and his fire comes to consume. What does his fire come to consume? Anybody? What is the... What does the fire of God come to consume most often in, in Scripture? The offering. I heard it back there. 
right? They would put the offering up on the altar. I know, the leaders had to fill it in. There we go. Okay. So, Bible scholars, right? The fire would come and consume the offering. And this was like the fire of God was this thing that was like, and what were offerings? Anybody know? Like what? Like, it's maybe sort of a rhetorical question just to make you think. What were the offerings or what did they represent is maybe what I mean. Right? Animals, sheep. Yeah, but what did they represent? Does anybody know? What did they represent? Sacrifice. Wow. No, why was that funny? That was a great answer. Way to go. Anyway, look at this. On the altar, people who trusted in God put forth things that cost them something. And the fire of God came and consumed them. And, re- and there was a recognition among the people that that was something that they could live without. Because what was more important than the thing that they put on the altar was a relationship with God. There was a sacrifice that was required. It cost them something. Some families would have to go and like scrounge together all the extra money or maybe go work a couple extra jobs to go buy the sheep, to take down to the temple, to put on the altar, to be burned up by God. Like you could get really angry and bitter about a God who demands such an awful thing from you. But what about my family? I need to feed them. But what is cool about the sacrifices that the Israelites would bring and put on the altar before God is that they recognize that if they didn't, they were way further out of provision than if they kept it. Like they knew that as they were faithful to God and his commands, his provision was all over for them. And it's this crazy thing. And it says, this is in Malachi 3. This is Old Testament and it's awesome. But it says, who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. How many of you know that launderer's soap is important? What does it do? It cleans stuff like, my gosh, your soccer uniform without the launderer's soap. Hello. Ick. E. Gross. You know, some of y'all socks. Gross. Even with the launderer's soap, it's gross. Okay. Do you get this? Mine included. I got stinky feet. It's just a thing. I don't know how to beat it. Anyway, Lord, deliver me. Anybody want to check? I'm kidding. Okay. Right here it says, shh. He will sit as a refiner of, and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then, well, I'm going to skip that. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold for the first part, but I'm going to repeat that. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. So it's a, obviously a metaphor, right? Because he's like, he'll sit like. How many of you English people know that when it says like or as, it's a simile, right? Sorry, not a metaphor. It's the same thing, kind of. Not whatever. So here's this deal. I want to read this really cool story. I think I heard this like 10 years ago, maybe longer, and I was able to find it, which is really exciting. So pay close attention because, and I don't know, I think it's a real story. If it's not, it doesn't matter because it still comes across true. And what it, what, what it contains is true. There was a group of women in a Bible study on the book of Malachi. As they were studying chapter 3, they came across 
verse 3, which says, He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. This verse puzzled the women, and they wondered what this statement meant about the character and nature of God. One of the women offered to find out about the process of refining silver and get back to the group at their next Bible study. That week, the woman called up a silversmith and made an appointment to watch him at work. She didn't mention anything about the reason for her interest in silver beyond her curiosity about the process of refining it. As she watched the silversmith, he held a piece of silver over the fire and let it heat up. He explained that in refining silver, one needed to hold the silver in the middle of the fire where the flames were the hottest so as to burn away all the impurities. Most of you kind of have this concept already of refining metals, right? The woman thought about God holding us in such a hot spot. Then she thought again about the verse that says he sits as a refiner and purifier of silver. And she asked the silversmith if it was true that he had to sit there in front of the fire the whole time the silver was being refined. The man answered that, yes, he not only had to sit there holding the silver, but he had to keep his eyes on the silver the entire time it was in the fire. Or if the silver was left in a moment too long in the flames, it would be destroyed. Interesting. The woman was silent for a moment, and then she asked the silversmith, how do you know when the silver is fully refined and the right timing? He smiled at her and answered, oh, that's the easy part. When I see my image reflected in it. I love that story. Okay? Like, he will sit as a refiner of silver purifying and like as you know like gold silver all this kind of stuff like that's the process it goes through and i had this picture i think i i think i might have got it for one of you on sunday night when we we're praying for you guys is this purifying of the gold in our lives like how many of you know about pure gold it's not really very hard right like the gold that you have on your, like on a ring or like that kind of thing, in order for it to hold its form and have any kind of strength, they actually have to add other metals to it because pure, refined, absolutely like pure, pure gold is incredibly flexible, shapeable. Well, it's not liquid unless it's hot, but, but it's like, but even in its hardened form, it's very pliable, moldable. You can actually like, squeeze it and break it and it's like super brittle so they actually have to add impurities to it to make it stronger and i think there's this thing that happens in the place of trusting god with our lives and like knowing like god is a fire and that's kind of scary but also recognizing that if we can lay our lives before god as a sacrifice and allow his fire to come what it accomplishes in our lives is the stuff we don't need actually gets removed, and we become this moldable, soft-hearted creation that God can do so much with. He can grab our lives and just be like, I'm going to do this with you, and I'm going to do this with your life, and I want to see this happen. But we have this tendency to keep adding other things to shore ourselves up because we have this, I don't know if it's just an American thing, maybe it's just a general human thing that I got to be, I got to be strong, I got to be you know, I got this, I'm okay. And we really put a lot of trust in ourselves and our own understanding and our own like this, and you got to convince me of that. And what's your argument for why God exists? Like, I don't need an argument for why God exists. I just submit my life to him and the fire goes and deals with the crap that isn't like him. And he purifies me and how, like, so yes, I go through fire and fire is not fun. 
there are moments that things happen in your life. You read the book of Job, you're just like, man, my life is so good. Like, really? You read the book of Job, and you're like, holy cow. But here's like, like in this story, God's eye was so fixed on Job every minute of that process. And Job's heart was like, oh, I'm going to worship God. And I was telling this to Josh before we, before we started tonight. I was just like, there's such a power in the place of worshiping God when life is falling apart. Do you understand what that does to kick the devil in the teeth when everything is falling apart in your life and you go, devil, you got nothing. I love my Jesus. Do you get what, like, when you're in the fire and life is like, it's like super good when you're like, yeah, I just got a brand new car. My parents are taking me on a vacation. And I just like so, totally asked out the girl I like. And we're going to prom and it's going to be the best thing ever. And I got my license. and life. I just love Jesus. My gosh, he's the best. And then all hell breaks loose and your parents get divorced. And this thing happens and you fail a class at school. And that person you love dumps you. Does your heart run with glee into the fire to get refined or do you just go like well i'm just done with and you let yourself be consumed by the fire because i think that's like the easiest tendency is just like god where are you now what in the world you were doing so good like a week ago where did you go why and he's going because you're not refined okay He's holding you in the fire. I do not believe necessarily that God puts you in the fire. I believe you have an enemy that's going to bring the fire, and you have a God who's holding you in the fire. And sometimes it is the fire of God that comes, that comes to to bleed out the crap that is totally keeping you from him. Because any impurity that exists in a precious metal reduces its value. Do you understand that? And God understands the value of purity. He understands the value of a person. And he goes, I want to maximize your value. And sometimes that means you have to lose some things that you trust in. Ouch. And I love that Bill Johnson says this. This is the only time, and you've heard me say it probably before. This is the only time in eternity that you get to bring a sacrifice of praise before God. An actual sacrifice of praise where it costs you something to praise God. It costs you your trust in yourself, your personal strength and all that you. Because once we get to heaven, just the fullness of God's glory and the complete absence of sin and brokenness. And it's, it's like your body will have no other option but to be in worship before God. Do you get that? It will no longer be a, quote, choice to go like, you know what? Regardless of anything. I will worship God. And I, if I could get you to capture that revelation tonight in your life, that when life looks like hell, don't let hell take over. I'm so serious because there is like, I oh, the devil cringes at somebody that's going through everything wrong and they're saying, my Jesus, my Jesus, my Jesus, because the devil goes, I got nothing on him. I took everything. That was the life of Job. The devil took everything, and Job was like, I will not curse my God because I know he's faithful. Man, and God doubled everything that he had, doubled everything that he had. And that's what I want to, like, go to because generosity becomes this massive part of this. And it says right here, right after, he will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. 
then the Lord will have men who bring offerings in righteousness. Like it becomes this generosity thing that comes and, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in the former years. And then it goes down and I never, I'd never connected these two passages, the refiner's fire and then this crazy promise that you hear us talk about quite a bit. It says, um, a little bit further down, Malachi is like speaking on behalf. It says, return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And God says, in the tithes and offerings. And this isn't a money thing at all. I'm not trying to like suck money out of teenagers, okay? But he said, but this is God speaking. How do you, how are we robbing you? And God says, in the tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Ouch. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. You've probably heard this before, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. How many of you receive that over your life? That I would open the floodgates of heaven and there would be so much blessing that there would not be room in the storehouses to store it. And then it goes on. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Like these are the promises of God and this is all coming in this. Uh, He'll stand as a refiner of silver and he will hold, he'll sit there right there, eyes locked on your life. Fire is kind of a scary thing, but it's like amazing. It used to freak me out when I first came to Life Center. Okay? If anybody can relate to me, but I'd be like, I came, I was Baptist. You know, we didn't really, you know, fire was dangerous, so we didn't do that at church. You know, I don't know. I just didn't have a context at all for this fire of God thing. And you come to Life Center, and there was literally one time in the sanctuary, this was a long time ago, that Janelle was down here, the youth pastor, and she set off a smoke bomb here and lift on a Sunday morning, and it found one of these smoke detectors and set off the alarms in the entire building. Um, well, that was, yeah, in the middle of a Sunday service. It was really good. Oh, yeah. But you know what's amazing about this place and kind of scary is that the whole sanctuary erupted in worship. Like, literally, the alarms are going off, and everybody's, like, rejoicing that the fire of God is here. And I was like, these people are psychotic. I was like, what is going on in this place, okay? And I was still, like, I was coming here and trying to go, like, what is God? Like, but do you get, and I think some of you, some of you might look at this and go, like, yeah, seriously, that's so bizarre. and That's so weird. But. Listen to me. When you get a revelation that the fire of God increases your value and increases your land and increases your storehouses and pours out blessing, it's this purification of your entire life that makes you who you were designed to be and called to be so you can walk in the things that God prepared for you. You give up on trusting in yourself and you literally just say, fire of God, come fire of God. I want it. And when it does, when you feel it, when you experience it, and some of you know exactly what that is, you don't run away in fear going like, no, I don't want to. You're just like, my God, that's the best thing in the world. 
And it's more and more and more. And God came like Pentecost. We know like little tongues of fire came down on their heads. Like they knew what fire meant when God came. And it refined and it defined a group of people that day. The fire of God comes to burn away the stuff that you really do not actually need. And if you are dead convinced that you need it and can't give it up for God, then you're trusting in yourself. So stop telling people you trust Jesus. I'm dead serious. If there's anything on this earth that you say, I can't or I won't, lay this on the altar before God to be consumed by fire, you're not trusting God. You're trusting in things or yourself or your understanding of what it is. Like, is there anything? My goodness. Lynn, can I share your oxygen thing? Where'd she go? Can I share that? That just fits. She prayed this in prayer Tuesday morning, and it's like, it's a midwife thing, so I don't really understand. But when they're, when they're monitoring a baby in the womb, they can actually check the blood oxygen level. Post after the baby's born, sorry. They're monitoring the baby. They need to watch the blood oxygen level in the baby. So they have sensors that do this, and it tells them. And it essentially needs to be 95% or higher. 95 to 100% oxygenated blood or whatever in that, in that to be normal and healthy. If it gets below 95, it's time to go to the hospital. Okay? Below 95%, it's danger. If it gets below 85%, there's a massive risk of organ failure. That's like a little bit like, whoa. Okay? And Lynn brought this as like this picture of like, we can very often settle for our spiritual lives being about 50 to 80% on fire for God. 50 to 80% given to God, and we can be an absolute organ failure as a spiritual human being. Like you actually can. Like 95% to 100% is a relatively healthy place to be. But you get below 95 and there's like a severe risk. Severe risk. Like go to the hospital. So spiritually speaking, the picture that that paints is like Look at your life and go, what am I leaning on? What am I trusting in? And we continue like week after week after week to call you to this higher place. Like, stop playing Christian games. Stop this like, oh, yeah, I do that thing. Oh, man, I was talking to somebody earlier today, and I just said, like, here becomes the reality is like, you should never, ever, ever the rest of your life have to use the words, I am a Christian. Because it means very little for you to say that. Is that okay to say? If it's not evident enough to the people around you that there's something marked on your life, then you might be running the 50% range. Like literally, if you walk around, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, and people don't notice it outside of your words, like, hello, we have a massive problem. And that would be the case for anybody, right? Like, I don't have to walk around and go, I'm 6'4". I'm tall. I'm tall, everybody. Hey, everybody, did you notice I'm tall? I don't have to do that because, like, duh, it's pretty apparent. That's why I love the people that, like, you know, the super religious people that are, like, on Facebook, evangelist Ben Evenson. It's kind of like, I'm pretty sure if you're an evangelist, putting a title on it is not required. Because you know an evangelist when you see one. It takes you about 30 seconds with Todd White to be like, that guy's an evangelist. 
It takes you about 30 seconds with Josh to, he's a prophet. He'll, put, he'll never put the title in front of his name. I don't care how much you pay him or what book you want to put his name on. He'll never put the title there, but it's just recognized. It's this place of complete abandon. Like Josh's life is completely sold out to the word of God, the following of the prophetic word, the tracking and the honoring of the prophetic word. And he doesn't have to say, wow, I'm the prophet. Y'all know, you're like, well, I can't understand half of what he says because it's like, God, this, and like, it's like, but when he, but when he brings it to the point, you're like, whoa, whoa, you're like, that was prophetic, right? Like, oh my gosh, it's crazy. I don't have to march around and be like, I'm super pastoral, just really, you know, like most of you, if you know me half decent, like, I just love you to death. I really genuinely love you and I care about you and I'll like spend my time to give like to, to talk with you and chat with you. I like this is just in my burning in my heart. Like if you come and pursue that, I will like, man, it's a natural part. But I think so often we are like really happy to be like, who's a Christian in here? Me, 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 me. Like the question should more be like, hey, look around you. Who's a Christian in here? Do you know what I'm saying? And I'm not, this isn't a performance thing. This isn't putting on a good show. It's just going like, how submitted is your heart to the fire of God every single day? How submitted? Because it is. It's like Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It was another thing I was going to try to track on tonight. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Period. It is not of works. You cannot brag and boast about how great you are as a, as a Christian. You can boast and brag about who God is because it's by His grace you were saved simply because you believed He's true. By faith, you were saved. So knock it off and stop bragging about it. Like, that's like a real deal spot of like, oh, I'm puffed up and I spent four and a half hours in the Word this week. I hope you did as much as I did. Oh my gosh, that's like... Or... Oh, man, I went and I, I was preaching the gospel and I led so many people to the Lord this week. I just can't believe it. It's like, no, God saved them. You, you just submitted yourself and obeyed the Lord. And can I share a pet, fee, pet peeve I have? Mm, this is going to get feisty. I'm sorry. This just popped into my spirit. ADD, a divine distraction. God's want us to go somewhere. Okay. Yes, I own that big time. Okay. Listen. What is a pet peeve of mine is that people will go to sports practices, band practices, go to school, go to all kinds of things that they're committed to. And like, how many of you love every homework assignment you ever do? Oh, you're so lying, probably. Okay, maybe some of you are like, yes, give me more. But look at me. Most of you will go to a class with a teacher who you probably disagree with on about 99% of everything. And they, will, and they will hand you a homework assignment and you will get it done and you'll bring it in and you'll turn it in on time. You'll go to a soccer practice, a baseball practice, a football practice, and your coach will say, run up and down that hill about 18 times till you throw up. And guess what? You'll do it. You'll do it. Why? Because the coach who was in charge gave you an instruction. That's it. Simple. Did you want to? Did you want to run that hill? Oh, please, no. 
Six more suicides. Nobody goes, sweet, let's go, guys. Like, everybody's like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. Like, give me a 100 burpees. That is not fun, Micah Springer. Wherever you are back there, you like burpees? Micah Kimball, Isaiah, some, Micah likes burpees. He's like, I do those for fun every night. It's crazy. Anyway, but look at me. This is, here's where my pet peeve is. Like, you get a music teacher. What do they send you home to do? Clear instructions. I need you to do this, 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 and you will do it, and you'll come back at the next next tr- lesson or whatever and say, yeah, I worked on that, and I got better. And then, but here's where it gets me a little bit, and this is just, is that people will come to church and gripe and complain when someone says, stand up. They'll gripe and complain when someone says, put your hands up and let's worship the Lord together. They'll gripe and complain when someone says, hey, would you pray for somebody? People are like, oh. It's like you'll submit your heart, you'll submit your time, you'll submit your energy to a soccer coach or a teacher to do a dumb assignment that they throw in the trash, but you're unwilling to go like, oh, I heard there's a thing as, such thing as authority in the church. <gasps> like, God's into this. This is a whole nother teaching I don't have time to dive into. But I just want to talk like this is not a control thing. It's not like, ooh, pastors. Your soccer coach is not into control. He's into training. Because he's been down the road. He's learned the skills. And he's walking you into greatness. And you'll bow down. You'll be like, absolutely. You dance people are like 18 days a week. How many dancers in the room? That's like a sport upon sports. I swear but you will like, seriously, you will dance till your toes bleed, your joints hurt, and everything is wrong. And then you come to church and somebody's like, come on, let's worship. And you're like, don't tell me what to do. With that sass in your attitude. You know what I mean? Like, how dare you tell me. Do you hear me when we call you forth into behaviors? It's not about control, but it's about calling you into something that we see you can experience in a greater level. It is not about us owning your life and manipulating you into being some spiritual being. It's saying like, hey, come along. I've been there. I've done this and I've walked this thing out. Am I right, Josh? Am I out of line? Am I getting in trouble right now? No. Do you get this? But everybody's willing to go to the church. Oh, they're just so controlling and they just like don't make you do stuff. And I just want to go to church and do my own thing. It's kind of like, well, who are you trusting in? Like, there's, there's a realm of, like, whether it's authority or just a humility upon your life that says, hey, I'm willing to do what someone else might call me into. And we're so easy to, I mean, Chris Valentin would probably say, like, if you'll do it for money and not for love, it's called prostitution. And most people will say, oh, yeah, I go to soccer practice, and they beat my butt, and they run me hard because I'm going to get college paid for, and I'm going to play pro and make a million dollars. That's like selling your life, selling your body, selling yourself for a cash payout. My gosh, would you not go before God for something so much greater than a cash payout on your life and say, God, whatever you demand of me, whatever you call me into, whatever you want to mold me into, if you want to make me a nun the rest of my life, God, that's your call on my life and I don't want to be anywhere outside your will. Or a monk, men. 
I don't know. I'm just, catch, catch this, you know? Thank you, Josh. That's good. Do you get where I'm going? Like, I don't think m- many of you are going to be called to be a monk. Xavier's talking about it. I don't know. And that's great. If God calls you to something, m- m- right. You've, are you still feeling that call in some way? That's cool. He's feeling a call. Whatever. Like, are you willing to follow God wherever he'll take you if it changes your plans? And if you're not, you've put your trust in yourself for your eternity. Where is that going to end up? Do you hear me? So we don't have a ton of time left. I talk a long time always because I'm really, this is like, oh, it's so burning in my heart, you guys. But I want to I set you up to receive fire tonight, if that's okay. Come on. So, like, worship team, get up here because we might get rowdy. I don't know. We'll see. We got time. It's a school night, but you don't care. Okay? Look at me. Look at me. We are not going to kick you or drag you, force you, tie you up, and manipulate you into anything. Look at me. Seriously. Keep playing, Isaiah. Don't quit on me. It's like, there it goes. Dead zone. Okay. Do you get this? I'm so serious, you guys. We're not here to manipulate you into something. We're here to call you into something. That says, like, look, God, if there's something I can lay down, and I know some of you on the mission team experienced a level of this on Sunday night. A level. And I want to tell you, and Josh said this as we were talking about it, like, the Holy Spirit and the fire of God is not a once and done, wow, I got cleaned up that night, and now I'm set. It's a day, today, today. God, what can I lay on the altar and let you consume? Stay with me, all right? So here's what I want to do. I want to get our, our Guatemala team up here on the front, lined up across the front here. Do it right now. Unless you're playing on the band, stay up there and rock it. You can pray from there. Come on, Guatemala team. Get your butts up here. And I want everybody else that is that, just stand up. Everybody else get up on your feet. Come on. I think we're going to try to go with like two lines across the room just to make this sane. So y'all start a line right there that goes right across the front in front of the pillars. And everybody else start a line right across, shoulder to shoulder, right across behind the pillars, back a little bit. Go back a little. Back a little, Veronica. There we go. And if we, you can extend that line out a little bit. Come across the middle. There's like, come on, line. Two lines. One here, one there. It's really easy. And we just want to leave room for people to walk behind you and all that jazz. And Okay? There we go, band. Start playing something. Go nuts. Come on. So listen. I want you to put your heart in receiving mode, okay? Call me coach for a night and be like, okay, coach, man, let's go. We're going to get, like, pumped up in the locker room or something crazy. I don't know. Like, that's so silly to me sometimes, but I get it. I seriously get it. There's a place of calling you up and stirring yourself up to, like, I want to do something great with my life. How many of you do? Three people want to do something great with their life. Come on. I know for a fact that God wants to do something great with your life. I believe that the fire of God is a massive, essential part to you discovering who you actually are. Because any little piece of silver or gold that's full of extra crap and contaminants does, is not fully revealed for its value. Your life is very much the same way. Anything that is unlike what God designed for your life is a devaluing of your expression of who you are and who God is in your life. Do you understand that? It doesn't devalue you. I don't want you to, 
I don't want you picking that up because God establishes your value. But those contaminants are something that begin to affect the purity of how you operate and what you work through and how you're submitted to the Lord. So mission team, just begin to pray right up here. Come on, just fill the room right now. There's so much faith, you guys. I'm so serious. This place of going like, God, I can trust you more than anything else in my life. Okay? Oh, we're getting rowdy, people. All right. So, God, we just thank you tonight. We thank you for your love. Come on. Come on. So come on, if you want the fire of God to come, like this is not a destructive fire. I mean, it is destructive to the things that you trust in in your flesh. I'm totally serious. But if you're willing to say, okay, God, I'm going to throw myself out on a limb here and see what you're capable of. I challenge you to just be in a receiving mode. This team is going to go. Guys, we're going to pray for guys. Girls, pray for girls. Make sure you split up and hit both lines so we're not here forever, forever. But if you feel God just moving on your life, just receive it. Talk to him. Do something real in your heart and just move. Let, allow God to move in your heart. So come on. I release you guys right now. God, they're going to lay their hands on your head. It's not going to like, they're not going to push you or any weird thing like that. Come on. But just be in a place of receiving right now. Come on. Jesus. Come on. If any part of this right now just has you totally freaked out, it might be a place for you to just say, you know what, God? I'm not going to trust in myself right now. I'm not going to trust in my understanding of what you want to do in my life, God. I want to say with full confidence that I trust in you, God. And I will not hold myself back from you. I will not stay in control of every element of my life, God. I submit myself to your leading and your word and your truth and your power over my life. Jesus, come. Holy Spirit, we just pray you come now. Bring your fire right now, God. Fire of God, come. Wash upon each and every heart. God, root out the things that are unlike your heart, God. Anything that doesn't resemble your face, God, as you look at these young lives, God. That you would see your reflection in them, God, as you hold them and you refine them, God. Love it, God. We love you, God. What does it look like to trust Him completely? Come on, Jesus. Thank you. God, we thank you that it's not by striving. It's not by completing a list, God. It's not by doing all the right things, God, that we come into your presence, God, and experience your love, God. It's by placing our trust in your hands and not ours, God. Abandoning all that we think we know, God, to trust our Heavenly Father. God, we thank you thank you for your massive love, God. We thank you for your power that transforms us, God. We thank you for the steps that you have ordained, God. 
You've not given us a list of tasks, God. You've not given us a to-do list, God. You've created us for us, a, a line, a destiny, God, that we simply get to walk in, God. We don't have to create. So, God, we thank you that we trust your plans and we can lay ourselves at your feet and say, God, take me there. Fire of God, come. Burn away, God, anything that's unlike you. It's a sacrifice, guys. It'll cost you everything you think you need to gain the only thing you really need. Jesus, we thank you for the grace. We thank you for the grace to let go of what we trust in, God. Come on, if you're, if you're still getting prayer, you can stay right where you are. If you still want prayer, stay right where you are. We're not going to rush you out of here. This podcast was recorded live at a Wednesday night youth meeting. To find out more, check us out on Facebook and Instagram by searching Airborne Youth.